Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Integrity Matters by Turnitin. Today, we're going to be exploring the factors that um, probably impede um, academics from formally um, reporting contract cheating. Today, with me in the house is Felicity Prentice, who is going to be talking to us about this um, condition and the situation around um, academic integrity. Hi, Felicity. Hi, Chooks. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. Really good to see you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your background and um, what excites you about the work you do as a researcher and a PhD candidate? Well, my background, I started lecturing in 1984, so that's probably when no one was still afloat. Uh, I've been doing it for a long time and I've been in a lot of different positions as a lecturer, as a clinical teacher, administration, leadership, research development, but the most exciting thing is in the last couple of years, starting my PhD, and I'm looking at academic integrity, but from a really unusual angle, because most of the time, well, look, we've got this system of academic integrity. Let's start with the students. We know that students cheat for many, many reasons, and we've looked at that quite a bit. We know that we need to have prevention and detection. We need to have policies so that we can follow it through. And we need to have an environment or an ecosystem that supports academic integrity. Now, they should all be working together to help students to maintain their academic integrity. What I'm looking at is what are the little links in the chain? So let's just imagine, hallucinate with me that you're a lecturer, you're you're doing your marking, so probably have got the glass of wine there. And you look down and you go, oh, the student did not write this. I think they've outsourced. They've either uh, paid through an essay mill or they've downloaded it from somewhere, but this is not their work. Now, here's the scary bit. Nearly 50% of staff that come across what they believe is contract cheating don't report it. And this comes from the big contract cheating and assessment design, a real T project that was run by the beautiful late Tracy Bretag and Rowena Harper. So it strikes me that if we're not reporting contract cheating, then that's a major break in that cycle. So that's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at why people do or don't report what they believe is a case of contract cheating. From your professional opinion, especially just looking at um, the recent case with the HSC students um, that was reported in the media, why is there an increasing um, amount of cheating? Oh, many, many factors. Um, one of the things is an increased amount in detection. Uh, it's on people's you know, minds. It's not slipping under the radar. We are a lot more aware of it and a lot are more vigilant about looking for it. So that could be inflating the figures, the fact that we're seeing it and um, we're you know, actually detecting it. But the other thing is we have to remember what uh, the last couple of years has meant in terms of being locked away and not having that face-to-face -face capacity. And most people want to just say, oh, well, if they're not being watched, students will cheat, which is like a really simple explanation. But if we go a little bit deeper, if students don't feel engaged, if they don't feel that someone knows them and cares about them and their learning, then that's a step away from integrity. That's about saying, well, 
no one knows if it's me or someone else. So, eh. so it, it's a, a multi-layered thing. And what would you say, uh, knowing that this is still happening in terms of contract cheating and on the other side, we've got academics, like you said, who probably know that students are not doing the work. Um, so it definitely means that there's a barrier that's contract, um, to reporting it. So what would you say are some of the barriers to, um, this inability or in indecision to actually report contract cheating? Well, again, from that contract cheating and assessment design, um, study, they did ask staff, you know, do you report? And if you don't, why don't you? And that was, um, a quantitative study. It was around the numbers. It was done by survey. And what I'm doing in my work is a qualitative study. I'm talking to people. I'm doing a series of interviews so I can kind of really get deep into some of the reasons. If we go back to the, uh, the article by Harper and colleagues back in 2019, number one was it's impossible to prove. You know, I've got this, but right, really finding the evidence. And if you think about it, particularly if someone's bought it from one of these essay mills, they're bespoke, they're written for that person, for that moment. So it's not as if you can use the awesome turn it in to, you know, get text matching going because it is uh, an individual thing. But impossible to prove has got another layer to it. It's not just whether you can find the evidence, it's whether that evidence will be accepted up the line. And there's a lot of hesitancy around collecting the evidence, putting it together and sending it up line to a decision maker. It's a lot of work. Having been an academic all my life, I know mm -hmm. that what we do is more than teaching. There's all the admin, the research pastoral work with our students, making sure that they know there's someone there who cares, uh, community work, university service, and particularly if you're a casual or sessional employee, you'll probably be given seven to 10 minutes in terms of pay to mark mm -hmm. each assignment, but gathering the evidence, writing it up and sending a report upline could take up to an hour. So for a lot of people, it's this combination of, I don't necessarily know what to look for, what to capture in the evidence. I don't have the time to do it. And if I do send that upline, how's it going to be received by the next mm -hmm. person up? Yeah. So there's all these little complex interplays there. Um, and look, I love to blame the system because it's so convenient, <laughs> but there is a problem that universities have, particularly in the last couple of years through COVID, losing a large international student population, not getting job keeper, all those political issues. They're trying to do more and more with less and less and particularly using casual sessional staff. So we've got this situation where people might be coming in to do lectures and tutorials, but they're not getting the professional development they need to be able to identify contract cheating. Mm. Then as they're getting paid a small amount, they really can't afford the time to actually collect the evidence and write it up. Mm. And then if it does go up line, well, the next person up 
a course manager, course coordinator might also be under the pump and go, oh, I can't face this. And it can go up and up and up until mm. you get to the top where you might find yourself with an associate dean or head of school who's going, yeah, I'm under pressure not to kick students out. So what can I do to mitigate this risk in terms of the decisions I make? Mm. It's messy, isn't it? <laughs> it is quite messy there. There's a the situation where we need we need the students to stay in, in school. And then there's the time time pressure um from academics and even the senior academics. So that's that that's these are a number of factors that if it were me, I wouldn't be able to even tackle the angle of trying to report contract cheating. From your experience, I know you've been a, um, an educator for quite, quite, I'll say quite some time. <laughs> um, looking at the fact that there will be some manual and automated process of substantiating um, contract cheating, how would you um, advise academics who are um, teaching, are still doing research and have all the other things as workload to balance that um, manual automated process of doing it? In a way, um, having text matching software has made it so much easier for us to pick up standard copy and paste plagiarism. And that's been fantastic. And particularly if people are using text matching software as an educational tool, not as a, you know, a, a punishment. It's not, you know, you're naughty. If you let the students submit prior to the due date, then they can understand where they need to change their, their work. So that's fantastic. But the problem is once we closed off the avenue of copy and paste type of um, cheating, then we've opened up the avenues for more um, kind of elaborate things like contract cheating, which has been around forever. I mean, everyone's got their mother to do their homework when they were in primary school. <laughs> I was a primary school teacher at one stage of my life. And, you know, you get the, the projects, you've got to, you know, build an Egyptian thing and kids would come in with pyramids and things like that. And you're, you're thinking, did you make this? And the parents would say, be careful with that. I put a lot of work into that. <laughs> That's contract changing. Uh, if it's happening in primary school, why would we stop it when we get to university? Except for our parents aren't quite as good at writing our essays, but you know, it, we're kind of people have brought up with this idea that outsourcing is okay in a strange way. But getting back to how do you get around detecting? The thing is, let's look at why it's important. If you don't report what you believe is contract cheating, but you say, oh, look, I'm going to fail the student anyway. Well, that's not natural justice because it mightn't have been contract cheating because no one else has looked at the evidence. And you've just failed a student, even though it met the criteria for the assessment, but you've just gone, oh, I'm just going to deal with it myself. If you completely ignore it, then it's unfair to other students who've put their own work in, but it also is sending the message back to the student, don't worry, you can get away with doing this. And if you look at the way, you know, contract cheating is dealt with, often the first time you'll you know, have an attenuated response from the university. You might have something like Kath Ellis's Courageous Conversations, where you take this as a, a sign that this is a student who's desperate in some way and needs help, 
or a student who's ignorant in some way about academic integrity and needs to learn. So that first pass is often, you know, more about how can we help you. But if a student isn't reported, we don't know it's a first pass and the student doesn't get the help. And they might be doing it two or three times, but no one's reporting it. So fundamentally, for the sake of the student, as well as other students, detecting and reporting is important. What we do know is, particularly from Philip Dawson and Wendy Sutherland-Smith's work, is that if you're primed, if you're aware that there could be contract cheating, you're more likely to find it. So kind of running in with a suspicious attitude is not a bad thing. If you know what to look for, then, you know, and that takes a little bit of training, then you're going to see it. And that's where I'd say to anybody out there, go to the TEXA website. They've got fantastic resources on detecting and reporting contract cheating. And there's even a lovely rubric that you can just go tick, 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 tick. Yeah, these are the signs, these are the flags, these are the things that worry me. Okay, I think it's fantastic because I wrote it, but can we move <laughs> on from there? <laughs> but I developed that because I know that other staff were going, well, I don't know where to start. What do I do? And I'm going, here, have a look at this. You're not looking for proof. This is balance of probabilities. You're looking for flags, red flags, things that make you go, oh, my spidey senses are tingling. Something here is not quite right. And then go down the list. And if it gets to the bottom of the list and you see a lot of ticks, then you go, okay, I think this needs to be reported. So you can make it easier. But then the next step is to have someone to report to. And my studies are really showing that People need someone who's helpful, empathetic, understanding, and willing to work with staff around contract cheating and having the Oxford model calls it the Academic Integrity Officer, the AIO. Um, Kath Ellis is saying, hashtag make it someone's job. Yeah. <laughs> and it's true. We're seeing that where there is a person in the department school faculty that says it's my job to do this, then staff might pass on something, not with tons of, you know, evidence like a cold case. It's just saying, I've got my doubts. And that experienced person who's got the time and it's in their workload can then take it on, take on the investigation, interact with the student, provide that support that the student needs. Um, and, you know, help the staff member as well. So they know, yeah, that actually wasn't the case or yeah, well done. That's good. So that you can automate it to a certain extent. Um, you can, um, you know, have those relationships that will help. And I know that there's also more and more software being developed. I know that Turnitin has Authenticate. Uh, we're seeing more of that where we're looking at um, that kind of forensic analysis of language, grammar, things like that, which might also be giving us um, more, more clues. Hmm. All right. So talking about your research, and I know you're passionate about it. You, you talk about it all the time. What else have you found from your research that you'd like to share with us today? That 
I expected staff to be really furious with students. Um, <laughs> I thought they were going to be like, you little, I'm going to get you. You know, that kind of, don't you offend me by trying to cheat your sneaky little sod. But it turns out they're not. It's been such an eye-opener that we kind of tend to portray academic integrity as this battle, this war, you know, this arms race where you've got the staff versus the student and can the student get away with it? No, that is not what I've seen. Staff genuinely want their students to learn. That's what we do. That is actually the mission. So when they come across cheating, they're not cross with their student. They're sad. They can be disappointed. They can be a bit frustrated. But genuinely, they want to say, what led you to think that this was a viable option? It's not. I wish that you'd asked for help beforehand. Mm. So I think it's really important we stop talking about this academic integrity issue as this war between staff and students, because it's not. We actually want to help. And that's mm. what I would say to students. If they think that cheating is the only option, they're, they're either doing it because they're desperate and hey, I'm a student, I understand desperate, or because they don't understand academic integrity. If you think that cheating is your only option, it's not. Because if you're desperate, there is help. We want to help. If you don't understand what academic integrity is, again, we can help with that. So it's been so exciting. And as you say, I talk about it a lot. I don't have any friends left. Um, <laughs> I go to party, people part like the waters. Um, <laughs> but the thing was, academic integrity isn't a war. It's something we're working on together. And students should know that the staff aren't out to get them. They're there to help them. And yeah. so before you get to that point, ask for help. Excellent. I think this is the, this is, um, this is a conundrum that most institutions are trying to, 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 to work out. Um, where I still don't even know where the notion came that, uh, the notion has come that there's a war between staff and students and it's just everywhere in the media and everyone, everyone's talking about, but, um, just now that we're wrapping up, um, you've talked about, uh, making it someone's job a boring capitalism phrase and, um, they need to have a team to sort of facilitate this process. What are the necessary steps institutions, academics need to take into consideration in for us to better facilitate the process of reporting contract cheating? They need to have really clear policies and some, most policies are up to date, but not necessarily uh, being disseminated. I mean, like they sit in a little policy hole um, and you know, the guys at the top, look at it and go splendid and tick it off, but we need to make sure that we've got policies that everyone knows about, that we've got procedures that are clear, simple, and transparent. And at the moment I'm seeing in my study that every university has a different procedure and within universities, different schools and departments have different procedures. No, if, I mean, you can't solve everything with one, you know, blanket, but if you just had it so that if you see this, prepare this using this grid and pass it on to someone who can take it up and investigate it. If we have it as simple as that, 
then more people would be able to say, yeah, this is important. I haven't got much time, but I've got five minutes to do this. Mm. So universities need to make sure that policies are there, procedures are clear, and that there is someone within their organisation at whatever levels that can take the next step. And on that, it's been really interesting talking to like mathematicians because what we tend to think about is text. We say, oh, well, you know, the text is the same or whatever, or it's written in a different style. And people in mathematics are saying, look, mathematics is also subject to cheating. We know there's some homework help sites out there that are very keen to provide. Um, there isn't just one answer to a mathematical problem, okay? The way you uh, work out your mathematics is like a, a you know a, a fingerprint. It's a very I have to say that because my I've got of my five children, two of them are mathematicians, and they'll beat me up if I say it's all and simple. They beat me up anyway. Um, but the thing is, they're saying if you're going to pass on this to someone to investigate, they have to also understand your discipline. That with mathematics, there are ways of seeing if this has been contract cheated. So yeah. that's what I'd ask the system to do, as well as all the other things in creating the ecosystem. But at the moment, we need more academic integrity officers out there. And hopefully someone will see me and say, you want a job? <laughs> <laughs> hopefully. I'd like to also add that in addition to, to policies being created, I think there's also that added work of socializing the, um, the policies. I feel most times the policies do exist, but there is no conversation with regards to what the policy is and how to use it and, and what the next steps is. So I think that added um, layer of socializing the policies, um, drilling it into academics and as well as students, why this is important would actually get, get us closer to um, better ways of facilitating reporting. Yeah, and not just drilling, making them feel that they own it making mm. them feel this is representing what they want and that they can do it because academics are tired. COVID mm. has been really hard. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, here I am talking to you on a video conference, but we've been doing that to students for two years now and it's really, really tiring. So we as academics need to be at the table and part of the conversation. Perfect. All right. I want to say a big thank you to Felicity Prentice for coming on today. Today we were talking about the factors that actually uh, impede or um, impact the, the the process of actually um, reporting um, contract cheating. Um, thank you so much for your insight today. And we hope that anyone who's watching this can begin to take those necessary steps to um, the process of facilitating contract cheating within the institutions. Thank you again. Thank you.